Welcome back to License to Spiel. I'm Thad Haight. I'm Carl Wonders. And this time, we sadly find out that we only live twice. Indeed. You Only Live Twice, which is the fifth Bond film. It was released in 1967. It was directed by Lewis Gilbert, who we will see a few other films by him later on in the series when we get to the Roger Moore era. This film, oddly enough, was written by Roald Dahl. And yes, it is that Roald <laughs> Dahl who is famous for Charlie and the Chocolate Factory and the James and the Giant Peach. I honestly don't really know the background of... I think Roald Dahl must have known albert broccoli or saltzman or one of them or something like I, that. i think he wrote quite a few films though didn't he yes but not james bond <laughs> <laughs> well i mean is i don't think he only wrote uh adaptations of his books i True. think he also did other things i think so too i think you're right but it is interesting when we have the same cast of characters uh, behind the scenes for most of the early films and then yeah. all of a sudden you get Roald Dahl shows up in the credits it is a little different yeah and it's a little odd actually when you look at the the source material because this is actually many people consider this to be the final book in the James Bond series uh from Ian Fleming and it's gonna cause some issues when we talk about the next film uh next week where we have some continuity problems that that crop up here one or two yeah it's worth noting that other than the fact that both stories take place largely in japan they have nothing to do with each other there's really no overlap at all other than they're in japan and blofeld is around i mean clearly uh ian fleming did not live to see the type of space stuff that we see in the opening of, of this film right or you know it, it we open up um on earth but we open up in orbit with this space capsule that is very contemporary to the 1960s. It looks kind of like a Gemini capsule, I think. It does, yeah. They're not NASA. They're clearly American astronauts up in space. And uh, the thing that always makes me laugh is that they're on a first-name basis at this point with these people where yeah, like, hey, it's Chris. I'm out of the space. <laughs> is that how they talk? I don't know if that's how they talk. I would be surprised if it is. Maybe I'm trying to think about like the nasa movie like the actual nasa movies i've watched like in apollo 13 they don't call each other by first name over the radio do they they might later on when things are a little less formal when they're just kind of trying to get by you know but i think when they're when it's the the mission typical mission language and stuff it seems pretty more pretty much more formalized i would say yeah i think so also yeah they don't call themselves out as nat as nasa but they are being controlled from houston so i mean right i mean I don't know about you. I the effects are a little dodgy, I would say, but I actually have always enjoyed this opening. Yeah, it works pretty well. Yeah. You can tell that they're models with a backdrop, but mm -hmm. it works pretty well. Yeah. Um I don't like when Chris just sort of flails around and doesn't actually try to do anything. <laughs> yeah. So for like two whole minutes, he's just like well, guess this big spaceship's coming. Might as well just wave my arms. <laughs> I mean, I don't know what capabilities one has at this era of spacewalking. Uh, he, he got out of the capsule pretty pretty well. I, I guess we're limited here where we have the model composited with some guy being held up in wires yeah. or something kind of flailing around. You know, they, they did what they could, I think. And it, yeah. You know, again, for the time, it's pretty convincing, I think. It is. Uh, yeah, I, I tend to look at this era of film in general kind of 
get, I give them a lot of benefit of the doubt when it comes to this sort of special effects work. Oh yeah, it's no, it, it looks better than other things from the era. So yeah, no, it's fine. It, it's certainly better than the undercranked uh, hydrofoil chase that we got at the end of Thunderball. <laughs> yes. So, so yeah, we see, uh, you know, they Chris goes out of, into space from this capsule and kind of looks behind him and because they're warned that there's another blip on their radar or whatever and he sees this other spacecraft that comes and opens up and swallows up the capsule and then flies off and then we get this this cut to this i have no idea where they are <laughs> in these dome things like my first thought was maybe the un but it's just those three so right. it wouldn't be that and i mean you, this is where you can tell this is a british movie because you have the americans and the soviets yelling back and forth and the British just calmly sitting there in the middle. And they're like the grown-ups in the room. And they're like, yeah. yeah, you know, we, our our evidence suggests that this spacecraft came down in Japan. Maybe you should look there. That's what we're going to do. <laughs> Although why Bond is in Hong Kong at this point, I don't quite know. Because that's not Japan. Well, they say the but... Sea of Japan area. So mm. Hong Kong is like... That's that's fair. Still not in the Sea of Japan, but close-ish. <laughs> I mean, later we find that Bond got a first in Oriental languages, so maybe that's... Yeah. <laughs> also, I will say that the the guy at the English desk who, t who does the talking yeah. is, like, one of the most English people ever made. <laughs> yeah, he is. Yeah. Like, I don't know the actor's name, but I have seen him in things before. And he definitely just... Yeah. Like, his look, his haircut, his accent, he's just like so ridiculously english yes i agree <laughs> also at the russian desk the the guy with no hair has a ridiculous mustache <laughs> like it's just this tiny it's like just yeah. a tiny little smear of a mustache yeah whereas the, anyway the, the, the guy who does speak is also right out of russian central casting i think oh yeah <laughs> <laughs> so yeah we have some very well cast uh members here of this weird little group Yes. We, but, you know, we find out that, you know, unlike these squabbling Americans and Soviets, the, the British are going to actually follow the, the data and have sent their man in Hong Kong to investigate. And we get a cut to uh, James Bond. I guess doing... they say Hong Kong because that's the closest British possession to the Sea of Japan. That could be. Actually, you know what? That makes more sense than anything else. So we'll, we'll go with that. Yeah, we see James Bond in bed with somebody. We find out that Chinese girls date different than all other girls, apparently. Uh, yes. <sighs> this is just awkward. <laughs> I make you best duck. Uh, or I give you very best duck. Now, maybe the first instance of iPhone autocorrect right there. Um. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Yeah, no, Bond was not actually... he was, Bond was talking about Peking something else. Yeah. yes yes <laughs> but before he can finish his thought he she pushes this button and the murphy bed folds up on bond trapping him behind the wall have you ever seen a murphy bed in real life i have seen a murphy bed in real life they don't do that oh okay yeah yeah around here and i have and not <laughs> so in, in i've only ever seen them in movies <laughs> <laughs> yeah they're i mean they're popular in places like you know i live in in a city and in places where you have sure, smaller yeah. spaces people tend to use them just to you know, have an office with a bed that folds up. So they, they do exist. Um, not quite this fancy, though. And, yeah, so these guys in, 
with machine guns come in and shoot up the bed and then run out. You know, if I didn't know anything about Bond and I didn't know what was going on, this is actually fairly convincing at this point, I would mm-hmm. say. I, I don't know how, and I'm, and I'm still not quite sure how they would have faked this. Because you can see the bullet holes behind the bed, like on the wall. It's when they bulletproof the mattress, man. No, but there's bullet marks on the wall behind... Like, when they've opened the bed, uh, there's like bullet marks Bond, on the wall back there. Like, Bond had special things to make those holes, I guess. I don't know. Okay. Sure. It's the only thing I, it's the only thing I can guess. Yeah. <laughs> but, so now we're supposed to think that Bond is dead. Again. Again. This, this is a running theme <laughs> that we get in these early pre-titles, where we think Bond is supposed to be dead, but he's not. Yes. Uh, we get a title sequence that is a little too on the nose for me, I think, <laughs> of... Japanese fans and lava and geisha-looking women. Uh, also, they're like obviously immediately telling us that Bond is not dead by playing by singing "You Only Live <laughs> Twice" or so it would seem. title of the movie i don't know what you're gonna do <laughs> i think the or so it would seem part okay just <laughs> tells me oh no he's not dead <laughs> but they really like that music because they they then play the music over and over again throughout the film they do i think it's another there's there are several of these uh john barry songs that i think tend to work better as underscore than they work as uh mm-hmm. actual songs I think it would be kind of cool if we heard the theme from another film in a in a film. Like, if just randomly you hear the notes from Thunderball or something in this one. Well, that'll actually happen twice next week. Oh, never mind so, then. So that'll be your your homework for next week, is to listen for... Th- one of them... Well, one of the scenes that happens in is very obvious, and there's another one that's a little harder to notice. That you, if you If you know to listen for it, then you'll hear it. I don't remember that at all. And I just watched that within the last year. Oh, okay. But anyway. Yeah. Yeah, no, because I tweeted about it at the time. Yeah, that's right, yeah. You, you think you tweeted about the wallpaper in the casino. <laughs> yes, I did. Which is amazing. All right, anyway. Anyway. Yeah, yeah in this film. But, the but I mean, obviously, the most important... We know what the most important musical number is next week. Uh, The one you talked about in the first episode? Yeah, obviously. Uh, okay. <laughs> you know Christmas trees are grown. They need sunshine. Sunshine can't grow Christmas trees alone. They need raindrops. <laughs> Having rewatched it recently, I actually have a positive thing to say about that song later, surprisingly enough. But anyway. Okay. So, yeah. <laughs> anyway. So back to this movie. Back to this movie. <laughs> we we come out of the credits to Bond's funeral. Yeah, and I guess, is this, like, a Spectre agent that's watching the funeral, or...? 
I don't know because we never see him again. Yeah. So, my complaint with this is the dead body is too stiff. Mm-hmm. Or what is supposed to be the dead body is too stiff. Okay. Like, when it falls down through the water towards the bottom, it is perfectly ramrod straight the entire mm-hmm. time, including when the divers pick it up. But then when they get on the submarine and open it up, it's not like Bond is in something solid. He's just wrapped in a plastic bag. This should... It should be... Bodies... Certainly living bodies do not hold ramrod straight like that. No. I mean, unless... He's not on a board or anything, as far as we can tell. And he hasn't been... I don't think so. And he's not, like, mummified or anything to the point where it's that tight. Because I think that And even with rigor mortis, even if it was a dead body, it shouldn't be quite that stiff. Well, and I don't think rigor mortis would still be in effect at that point. It it goes away after a while. Yeah. But anyway, this is how we know that they didn't really put Sean Connery in this thing and drop him to the bottom of the ocean. I'm always worried for Bond's safety when that guy goes at it with a knife and goes about three inches into the thing to rip it open. Also, when I will admit, when we saw the body fall and then we see the diver body land on the bottom of the ocean, we see the divers going towards them like, oh no, not another underwater movie. (laughs) Now we get that and we get one other underwater moment and I think that's really about it. Um, Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Just still worn out of them from last week. This, I, I'm trying to remember if it happens other times, it might, but I, I like seeing Bond in uniform here, where he's always referred to as Commander Bond. Yes. I like I like that M's in his Admiral's uniform here. I, I like this setup a mm-hmm. lot. It's a nice change of pace, I yeah. think, from the, from the office we've been it's seeing. It's cool to see Money Penny in a yeah. uniform as well. Yeah. Like a yeoman's uniform. I don't know where... enough to know what the rank is, but she is wearing one. I mean, this is not the only time we see Bond in his naval uniform. No. I think we see it a few other times, too. But anyway. Yeah. So Bond comes in and uh, M tells him what's going on about the... Well, tells us what's going on, really, because Bond has been fully briefed. Uh, And we know that the rocket probably landed in Japan, but they haven't found anything through aerial reconnaissance. Uh, And... They send Bond to their man in Tokyo. They, they throw in a line that's interesting where they think that... Because Bond asks, do you think the Japanese are capable of actually doing this? And they said, we don't think so. Mm-hmm. So it's not... They don't think it's the Japanese. They just think that something is happening in Japan at this point. Right. And I, I like how Bond burns the piece of paper then. That's a yeah. nice, nice touch. I wish I could remember addresses that well. I know, right? I mean, I... I write down a phone number and i still forget it so <laughs> well i mean that's uh that's just how things work these days i mean can do you know any phone number that that you had to learn that you've been given since you started carrying a cell phone with you regularly because i don't not very well because i just look them up on my contacts and dial. right exactly yeah yeah like i i still know phone numbers the phone numbers i had to call a long time ago most of which don't even exist anymore but yeah so then we get Bond launched through a torpedo tube. Yeah, again, like, his entry and exit from the submarine, I think, look very cool. I just don't know how realistic this would actually be. It would make more sense for him to exit the same way he entered, yeah. wouldn't yeah. it? <laughs> <laughs> like, just through the hatch? Yeah. He got an airlock, he could use it. Well, he presumably has... No, he doesn't have a tank, never mind. No, he's holding his breath. in, Like, and I gotta give... 
spawns training a lot of credit here. If I were in a tiny little torpedo tube that filled up with water, I think I would be panicking. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I mean, even if I knew it was going to happen, that, that's got to be terrifying. Yes, absolutely. So now we come to Tokyo and we get a nice little montage of neon lights in Tokyo, which I think is pretty nice. Yeah. And we see a couple different Japanese women talking into their purses while they look at Bond. We do. Some versions have subtitles and others don't. Mine didn't. Mine didn't either. Okay. They said I, the I, same thing. I picked up on that. I vaguely remember it saying very mundane things like he's going in, but I, I don't, honestly don't remember what they're saying. I just know I've seen subtitles there. It, they certainly start out saying the exact same thing. I don't know what it was because it was Japanese, but it sounded that it was the same thing. Yeah. Like, I don't know if their whole message was the same, but it starts the same. And he's, so it's, he's been set up, I guess, to meet one of these sumo wrestlers it seems like for some reason yes because he gets a ticket from the sumo wrestler and then goes and sits down yes Th this seems like we're, they're looping in more people than they need to be at this point <laughs> yeah seriously <laughs> why couldn't he just go straight to or yeah, have anyway. M, m give him the ticket or so he gets the ticket goes to watch one sumo wrestling match presumably because the filmmakers wanted to show that this is japan and this is Something they do in Japan, maybe. There's a lot of that in this film. We meet Aki, who comes and sits next to him. We, we forgot to mention, I think, the terribly awkward password that they've used this time. That is not... I as love nearly you. As, yes. <laughs> it's not as good as uh, Until They Go Wrong now. Right, yeah, exactly. Depending on who your contact is, it's easier or harder to work into conversation, I guess. But Like, I, I also wonder, like, what the, like the old lady sitting next to them thinks about them having a conversation where he says i love you and she says i have a hotel nearby yeah i i i couldn't answer that <laughs> <laughs> maybe that's okay in japan in the 60s i don't know M maybe uh, maybe <laughs> anyway they, they get up and they go and we she drives in a pretty nice little sports car she does uh through some bad rear projection yeah but it's not that bad it gets progressively worse in this film and i don't know why because it was getting better <laughs> yeah, it was and this is the best rear projection in the film i think it is it's and it's still not that good but the fact that it's at night helps i think although the lighting yeah. just seems weird and there sure is a lot of sony stuff inside this car yeah and this is before this is before sony owned part of the franchise too this isn't yeah this era. wasn't the product placement this was just them uh wanting to emphasize that they're in japan they're in japan so there's sony everything like i guess in the 60s sony wasn't universal outside of japan yet no i maybe not i don't know because like today oh your car has a bunch of sony stuff in it okay yeah <laughs> so they they go to the hotel and I, I i'm gonna bring this up again later i think but i like aki a lot actually in this film mm -hmm. um they they uh, as they're gonna do as a, in a 60s bond film there's some unfortunate stuff that goes on here but sure. i like her i like her attitude she has this back and forth with bond that works reasonably well i think at least for me in this i agree um we meet mr henderson we do meet mr henderson or is it ernst stavro blofeld i'm not sure well we won't find out until two films from now um <laughs> i I much prefer Charles Gray as Mr. Henderson than I do as an explosive. Yes! <laughs> yeah, I agreed. I I wish we had more of Mr. Henderson because I think he's another good character that's amusing. 
I like how Bond's way of identifying him is to whack him on the leg, and then he says, well, I'm glad you got that right, because he has a wooden leg. Mm-hmm. That was good. Yeah. Uh, Even though he gives Bond stirred, not shaken martinis. <laughs> that was good. Uh, I do like Henderson, and I... I also think it's kind of ridiculous how he dies. Why does the hotel have paper exterior walls? <laughs> I, do, I, couldn't, I can't answer that. Maybe he was in another room? Well, I guess not, but... Like, I understand the paper walls, again, this is to tell us, oh, look, we're in Japan. Right. But, I mean, that makes no sense for the exterior wall of a hotel. Japan is not a tropical climate. No. Uh, it gets cold there. Yeah. A paper wall is not a good idea. It looks like it's a door out into a terrace kind of place. I guess, so it's like a screen door, kind of? Yeah. Not really, though, but it's just the wall there. It's not a door until Bond busts through it. Right. But then it looks like he's going through, like, a garden area that would be outside his room. Yeah. I'm still... I'm still No, 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 you know what? So, there's a separate room... That has the garden door. So that's an interior wall. Oh, yeah, you're right. I'm looking at this now. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, so it's, it's, I an, mean, it's an interior wall. It looks wall. like, it sure looks like that room also has paper walls, but <laughs> they could be yeah. real wall. No, no, they're paper walls. Yeah. Because you can see both sides of them as he's running through it. <laughs> and now, okay, so let's leave the, the, the paper wall issue aside. Okay, I, okay. <laughs> for whatever reason, I always forget. Like, I know how Henderson dies, but I'm always caught off guard the way that they do this where he stops mid-sentence. I think they mm-hmm. handle... I, I like how that's done. Yeah. It's like, oh yeah, he just got killed. And I sometimes... Because I'm just paying attention to what they're saying and stuff, and I forget that that's going to happen. Or I know it's ca- happening, I just forget where. Yeah, it caught me off guard, too. Obviously not Bond dive tackles... Or obviously not Sean Connery. <laughs> dive tackles this guy who's trying to escape. Kills him and takes his place. Because he has that little mask thing on. I guess they had COVID there. Um, I was thinking the same thing. I don't I don't know why. Why is he why is he wearing that little mask thing on his face? I don't understand. To ha- okay, so I'm wondering. So that is a cultural thing in Japan. If you are sick, you wear a mask. That's true. So maybe, so maybe okay. he just had a, has a cold. Maybe. But anyway, he he kills the guy and takes his trench coat and hat and puts on his little mask and just pretends to be the guy, be him. Yeah, and and gets away with it by pretending to be injured, so he doubles over on the seat. Yeah, I I mean I would have laid down facing the seat, frankly, although I guess that'd be hard to see. You'd think the guy would have noticed when he went to pick him up off the seat. He's he's yeah he's not very observant. This guy. Uh, they drive to this office building that's osado chemicals we don't know who they are or anything but we just end up there i like the fight scene that they end up having up at the top and after they get out of the elevator i think it's a really solidly i do too um i am confused why bond carefully places the headless statue back on the shelf (laughs) yeah there is that (laughs) and i and i really like when bond tastes the siamese vodka (laughs) yes (laughs) cheers Siamese vodka. <laughs> yeah, that that is a good moment. Uh, we get we we get the cool little uh, safe cracker gadget here that 
for whatever reason, he happens yeah. to be carrying with him, which is convenient. You don't carry your safe cracker with you at all times? I, I, especially when he put on somebody else's jacket. <laughs> oh, yeah, I forgot that. <laughs> <laughs> that. That makes it even... He, he took the time... Maybe it's the other guy's safe cracker. Maybe. Is the safe booby-trapped, or does it always set off an alarm when you open it? I imagine there's, you know, like we would have now with a house alarm system that there there's a, an alarm switch to turn off somewhere i've seen safes where you do that oh yeah fair i don't have anything worth enough to put in a safe so i wouldn't know yeah or it could just be a timer thing you know it's probably you know two in the morning or something well, i don't i don't know exactly what time it would be but it wouldn't be business hours so it'd be odd that somebody would be getting into a safe here so how did the policeman get back out of the room or the guards i should say Oh, because the door closes? Bond can't open the security door from the inside, but the guards can. And there doesn't seem to be a button on the wall or anything. Maybe the guards have a remote? Maybe. Or a pass key or something? I don't know. I don't know if that technology even existed then. I mean, unless it was the, you know, the hole punch kind of... But that wouldn't really work here. No. Yeah. Yeah, a remote would work, though. That would yeah. make sense. Yeah. Does it have, like, a different remote for every security door? Does it just... You press one and all the doors of the building open <laughs> maybe he he escapes from these security men and we have slightly worse rear projection slightly worse rear projection because aki drives up in the car and rescues him how she knew he was there we don't know but that's beside the point this is another sequence that i think is you know the the great bond tradition of something exciting for the audience that makes no sense especially because aki then comes down in there at later too doesn't she yeah like don't we see aki in the so like there's a normal entrance that the, she could have taken him through right and is tanaka <laughs> just just a practical joker does he like to drop people down the chute into the chair i mean why why is this here i don't know but we get more rear projection while bond's going down the chute with light flashing in his face multiple times yes <laughs> it's odd I get the impression that Tanaka is extremely paranoid, though. He could be. He has that train that he talks about, how he doesn't... Yeah, because he, he would never travel in public. Yeah. So, like, I feel like this is just sort of a thing that Tanaka does. Could be. Uh, Tanaka's another guy that I like in this movie, though. Um, mm -hmm. It's played by Tetsuro Tamba, who is a relatively famous, for the time, Japanese actor weirdly they chose to dub him with the same guy that dubbed largo from the last movie <laughs> which is just confusing to me uh i think tamba did speak english i don't know how well his english or how well he spoke english uh, right the, the woman who plays aki is actually that's her voice that she's not being dubbed here um impressive yeah you don't see that much in bond movies we won't see it with the other bond girl who we get later yeah so yeah, we have the awkward... I do like the... He says, if you're Tanaka, how do you feel about me? And Tanaka says, I love you. And then Bond says, well, I'm glad we got yes. that over with. <laughs> yeah. It worked. Yeah. We get them making fun of American slang here with locks. It's American term for... Yes. Smoked salmon. Technically, it's, it's, like... it's a Yiddish term for smoked salmon, but okay. And we find out that it could be liquid oxygen, which is a bit of a leap, I think, but we'll go with it. Yeah. Is... LOX is LOX actually how you would describe liquid oxygen? Is that like, or is that something they just made up for this movie? That's a very lazy technical name for something. 
but maybe it is i i don't know wikipedia says it is abbreviated lox now the question for that okay. is is it abbreviated lox because it is in this film like <laughs> like i mean wikipedia doesn't say when the abbreviation came about so that's why i'm wondering it but it, it according to wikipedia it is lox in the aerospace submarine and gas industries so okay, okay. that works all right yeah I still think it's entirely possible that it wasn't until after this film, though. Okay. I, I again, I'm just making, I'm just saying that because obviously this film was, you know, culturally significant, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. But yes. anyway, <laughs> uh, we, yeah, we find they, we find this train that that Tanaka travels on. Is the train made out of wood, or did it, does it just have wood paneling? I think inside? it just has wood paneling. Although a lot of the carriages probably were made of wood at some point. Right. I would imagine. And we fi- we find the photo, and it has a micro dot that tells us that it was taken by a female American tourist and they were killed. Why is that put in the micro dot on this photo? I I don't know. That that seems a very uh... it was very convenient. Also, dang, this is a very uh, detailed photo. They're able to zoom that far in and still read yeah. it. Yeah, at least they didn't do computer enhancement on it. <laughs> yeah, I did notice. I was pleased that it was slightly blurry when they zoomed in, but still. Right. Yeah. Like, what is the grain on this film? It's something insane. I mean, the the the, the negative he gave him couldn't have been more than it's like a maybe a little bit bigger than a thirty five millimeter negative. It's not right. <laughs> it's not. Yeah. So there's no way you could actually zoom that far in on that. <laughs> he has a, he like has this giant folder with an IMAX negative in it or something (laughs) (laughs) yeah then Uh, i'd believe it (laughs) yeah we should say that the both the negative and the little document that had the locks on it were stolen from asado's safe which means that bond is continuing his ability of stealing exactly the right piece of information that he needs for the plot Mm -hmm. he also mentions for the second time a very specific temperature at which you should consume a beverage Yes, which is just to show us again that Bond is a drink snob. Yeah, yeah. I I don't know if serving cold sake is as bad as listening to the Beatles without earmuffs. He doesn't mention that this time. They probably wouldn't put the the Beatles into this one because by '67 the Beatles were way more popular. Way than more they popular. Were yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> Tanaka takes Bond to his house, and we have the worst scene in the movie. I think. Yes, we do get the worst scene with yeah. Men come first, and yeah, yeah, so sexful. So, oh god, yeah. Uh, <laughs> also, I still say I still maintain that Sean Connery shaves his back. <laughs> I do appreciate that they point out the fact that he's hairy in the scene. Yes, uh, they they actually call attention to it. Uh, we have a line that Tanaka speaks in Japanese that is Tamba's the actor's real voice. This time, I do remember that there is a subtitle here that is in some prints and not in others. And he does say something about, don't forget about your master, which makes this even worse. Um, Ew. Yeah. Uh, well, I mean, we do sort of get that implication earlier. When, right before this scene, he tells Bond that he's welcome to everything in the house, including everything he owns. And correct. then we see these women. Correct. It's just like, yeah. And... Again, I don't know how accurate this is to J- Japanese culture. Uh, 
you know, even at the time, it's just, it's hard to watch now, frankly. Yeah. We get a, we do get a scene of them soaking in a, in a pool where they are actually talking about the story and the plot, advancing the plot a bit here. And I do like, um, I do like that we don't actually see Bond, you know, doing anything with one of the possible slaves, uh, because Aki takes her place. And, and you can see that it was her to, her idea, so, like, she has agency in doing it. She clearly likes him, and we see that mm-hmm. throughout this movie, I think. That they they actually seem to be developing some sort of a relationship mm-hmm. with each other through the course of the film, which I like. It's not just random, attractive woman. I think I will enjoy very much serving under you. Which is yeah. another one of those lines that went over my head as a kid. <laughs> but... <laughs> yeah, it is. So now Bond is going back to visit Osato Chemical legitimately. Yes, Mr. Fisher. Now, I don't know what it is about this scene that I really started to notice it. But, mm-hmm. and and, I, and you notice it throughout the movie, so I'm just going to bring it up here. Sean Connery is so out of shape in this movie. Oh, yeah, he <laughs> really is. Honestly, I think he looks better in Diamonds Are Forever. A little bit. Maybe. I, I, I haven't seen that he one. He also looks bad in that one. He does. Oddly, I think of the later ones, he looks best in Never Say Never Again. Yeah, well, he's also supposed to be older in that one, which helps. Yeah, that's true. But like, he, he has a double chin. He kind of has a hunch to him in this mm-hmm. movie. He has a bit of a gut going on in some of the scenes. It's just, he's just... And he's clearly bored. I think by this point. Oh yeah, he's he's phoning in so much of this movie. It's no surprise that this that he opted to leave the franchise after this movie. Yeah, but anyway, I, I cut off there. I just wanted to, as an aside that I wanted to get to at some point that he's clearly sure. not in shape, the same shape he was earlier in the series. Okay, can I also like just like yeah. So, Sean Connery is only thirty-seven in this movie. How? <laughs> how is how does he look that way at 37 or how is he only 37 by the time they made this movie both okay <laughs> but like no he doesn't look 37 he looks 10 years older he does uh i mean you you, you lose the weight he has a he has an even worse toupee in this movie than he did in the last one yeah and and it's also i mean you figure that the fifth roger moore movie was for your eyes only. Oh, Moore is way older. Right, but what I'm saying... What my, well, he was older to begin with, actually. He was older to begin with. But <laughs> this is five movies in five years. Yeah. So I feel like th- you'd think Sean Connery might be older than he is because he's already. this is already his fifth movie. He didn't but look they, 32 in Doctor No, either. He, he didn't. He looked older then, too. He's one of those people, I guess, that always look middle-aged. Uh, yeah. <laughs> because then, yeah, he didn't age for a couple decades either. So, yeah, it's a weird situation. No, I, I feel like he, uh, you know, never say never again aside, I feel like he went from looking like he does in Diamonds Are Forever to looking like he does in The Hunt for Red October. Or yeah. Indiana Jones. Mm-hmm. And then he looked like that for, like, a good 30 years, and now he looks old. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. So he's had, like, three life stages. He's He's like an insect, <laughs> you know, he's... He so Bond is them. larva Sean Connery? Is what you're saying? I guess. I, maybe. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> um, 
But anyway. I, I'm just looking at this guy, and he does not look 37 to me. Like, not no, even he, slightly. <laughs> no, he doesn't. He, 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 he looks like he's in his 40s. So, oh, yeah. Yeah. Like, because I'm 34, and mm. I know people who are 37, and they don't look that old. <laughs> but anyway. Well, I'm in my 40s, and I'd like to think I look a little younger. You don't look that old either. <laughs> <laughs> no, you don't. <laughs> uh, Carl for the next Bond, clearly. Uh, anyway. Uh, no. Uh... <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, we... Back to the movie. <laughs> yeah, no, I was looking up his age because I was going to, like, yeah. make some... Well, in his defense, he was getting old, but I'm looking... No, he no, wasn't. He's, not. <laughs> he's just out of shape. Anyway. He's just out of shape. Yeah. Yeah, okay. We, we meet Mr. Asado here. We meet Helga Brunt, who is... I. She's just a Fiona Volpe light to me, really. She's not nearly as good as Fiona Volpe. No. We find out that Mr. Asado believes in a healthy chest. Yeah, but he believes in a healthy chest, but he also x-rays everyone. Yeah. Like, <laughs> we didn't, well, they didn't know that x-rays were harmful then, so. <laughs> that's true. <laughs> but still, it's just like, dang, that's not good for your chest. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but having champagne in the morning, apparently, is it adds a sparkle to the day, as he would say. Uh, I like the way that the dialogue works in the scene, though, where... Bond says something about risk taking, mm-hmm. and and Mr. Asado is looking at the X rays and says, "I forgive me for saying so, but I think you're taking one right now." And he's saying it in a sort of sinister way, and then he's, and he's just looking really com- at the gun. He's not looking he's, while he's looking at the gun, but then he's commenting on the fact that Bond smokes. Yeah, uh, which is how we get to the healthy chest line. Um, mm-hmm. But anyway, the thing I want to know is. So Bond is posing as this chemical salesperson because he wants to, he he's purportedly wants manufacturing rights from Asado Chemicals to do stuff, and that's what the whole meeting is about. And and uh, Asado meets with him, and then he says, as, like Bond's not even out of the room, and he says, "Kill him." And like, yeah. Uh, don't you at least wait until the guy's out of earshot before you're gonna announce that you want to get him killed? Hey, well at least. You know, give him credit. At least he's not doing a Goldfinger uh, or a Largo where he's like, no, just keep him alive and we'll invite him over for tea. Sure, but then instead of just killing him in his building, he lets him leave, get in a car, and then decides to do, like, gun him down in a car. Yeah, that's dumb. Because even if it does succeed, it makes a spectacle. It makes a spectacle, and clearly some unless osado chemicals owns the tokyo police number one is not going to be thrilled with this although we don't know that it's number one yet but anyway uh we then get what is both a ludicrous but very amusing sequence i think with this car uh we get bad rear projection again uh they call for help from they call tanaka and say help we're being chased by gunmen she asked him to give them the usual reception, which yeah. apparently is a helicopter with a giant magnet, which is how they dispose of all of their enemies. Yeah. How, <laughs> how many how many cars are at the bottom of this body of water? That's what I want to know, yeah. And if you're doing this to people, no wonder you have to hide and not be seen in public. Yeah, exactly. 
again, this is this is where the entire franchise, with exceptions, starts going off into ludicrous land with some of this stuff. Mm-hmm. It's fun, but it makes no sense. Um, I, yeah. I will say I'm very and I and I feel this way about all of Lewis Gilbert's films that he does, where it is absurd. But they do a good job of doing the absurd stuff. Like, I think they actually did drop a car into the water here. Like, the way the, this it car looks hits like the water, it looks car, like a yeah. legit car. I mean, there probably weren't actually people in it, but yes. No. And this is this clearly seems to be a real helicopter picking up a real car that's probably been stripped down because of weight and everything, but still. And there's clearly nobody in it. They're... Well, there must be a second helicopter, though, because how else does Bond <laughs> see the film footage of the car dropping into the water? There is that, yeah. This is the, this <laughs> one of two times where they just take the actual film and put it on screen in the universe, which makes no sense. But anyway, I, yeah. Um, I love the cut shot of the guy inside the car still steering the car as they pick it up. Yes! <laughs> <laughs> That's good. Yeah. yeah, as Bond says, this he, Tanaka asks him to evaluate his work, and he just says it's a drop in the ocean. Another Bond pun here. Uh, mm-hmm. it's, a, it's a good line. It is. Um, I would have gone with. I think they made a splash, but yeah, yeah, it works. yeah, that works. That works too. So this is when they decide to go and check out this Ningpo, which is the boat that they had in the photograph, because it they find out yes. that it's docked locally or or in, in at least within driving and distance of where they are we get like a sort of west side story almost thing where all these guys with yeah <laughs> yeah <laughs> expect them to come that out that was my first thought was west yeah. side story yeah. <laughs> <laughs> they all well, show especially the and... guy the guy with the wrench when he's like smacking his fist with it menacingly yes yeah <laughs> yeah this that part doesn't really work for me um, no. What what really does work for me though is the way they shoot the scene later. Um, Bond sends Aki back to to talk to report back to Tanaka, and he runs up on the roof, and they do this helicopter. I shot like of that Bond scene, yeah. running across the roof. So you just had the, he's wearing a black suit, so you can pick him out on the roof, and he's just you know fighting these people and making his way across the roof. But it's it's a really uniquely done bit of film, I think. Yeah, no, I like that, and I like he do, he dodges into a door and gets away, and then mm-hmm. jumps down onto what boy he's sure lucky with something soft under that tarp. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh, oh shit! Liquid oxygen. Uh, that would have been bad. <laughs> so that would have sucked. And and for like the zero in one percent chance of anyone who's i've said this to in the past hearing me say this now um i have to apologize to the movie because for the longest time i thought there was just some really bad stunt choreography on the roof where it looked like bond would swing at a guy and come nowhere near hitting him and the guy would fall down now that i have an hd copy of the movie he's actually carrying a stick or a pole of some kind and that's what he's actually hitting these people with so for the longest time i thought as much as I like the way this is shot, it was lazily done, but it actually turns out that it's not. So I'm sorry to, I'm sorry to, uh, Lewis Gilbert and all the people. Yeah. Cause he movie. throws the pole and it goes down like, and the guy yeah. has to jump out of the way. Yeah. 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 Um, unfortunately this is all for naught because as soon as he jumps down off the roof, he gets clubbed. 
and Mr. Rosado is there. Uh, that's another standard trope. Yeah. You think the you think the hero is getting away and nope. Nope, he's not. And then we get what all Bond villains do instead of killing him, they decide to do other things with him. Uh, again, we get a a Fiona Volpe light scene here. And this is not a knock on Karen Dor or anything. I just find this character boring. I would agree. Also, she adjusts, she freshens up her makeup right before she jumps out of a plane. Who does that? The same person that carries plastic surgery instruments inside of her uh, cabinet here. Eh, Okay. I mean, I I like how she threatens him and then she sticks it in his front pocket. Yeah, and and this this is a nice little scene where she jumps out of the plane and leaves Bond to, to presumably die. Yeah, where we kind of get a mix of the two versions of this what happens when Bond seduces the villain woman in the movie. Uh, earlier, I do like the scene where the, some of the dialogue that Bond gets, because he confesses that he's a spy, but then he keeps playing up the, I'm a spy for this chemical company, and I'm trying to steal monosodium glutamate recipes, which I think is, is amusing. Like, he's... Yeah. Was was MSG, like, some sort of big secret in the 60s? It might have been. I don't know. Yeah, I don't. I don't know when MSG became a big food additive. Uh, I think it wasn't. It was in the early to mid twentieth century, I believe. Yeah. Uh, but anyways, Bond does survive because he manages to do a crash landing with the plane. Although it makes us think for a second. Well, no, he gets out, but right before the plane explodes, naturally, and that's hopefully to make everyone think he's dead. Again, you only live <laughs> thrice. Nice. uh oh this is when little nelly has arrived yes and all right so i love q as much as the next person i'm glad he's here i'm really not sure why bond said that q had to come because there was nothing q said that couldn't have been either delivered secondhand by one of his underlings or just sent in a letter true i feel that the one movie that we have without q is missing q in it. it it wouldn't make it a good movie but it's you know I, I would still like to have had a cue scene in every film but yeah, i agree I, I, I can see what you're saying i i think he's there mostly to sneer at bond again and then to take umbrage with tanaka when he makes fun of it as being a toy helicopter I mean, like, he, he doesn't do anything after there's this. Like, more than one movie without cue because he's not in casino royale or quantum of solace Okay, that's fair. What's the movie you were thinking of? Live and Let Die. Oh, yeah, he's not in that one. Because he's not in that one. And I still have, sometimes I still have trouble when I'm thinking of these big picture comments of including some of the newer newer ones, frankly. (laughs) Fair enough. And, I mean, Casino Royale is a reboot of the franchise. So, okay, I'll I'll give you that. We've got old Bond and new Bond. And I'm sure there are people out there who believe that the new Daniel Craig Bonds are not real Bonds. They're wrong, but anyway. <laughs> and Well, yes, but anyway. Anyway, we do get Little Debbie, or Little Nelly, sorry. <laughs> She's not a snack cake. <laughs> well, Bond was hungry, so luckily he had a stash of moon pies in the yeah in some the hobo cream pies on band <laughs> yeah moon pies is a whole other company that's true uh, you're right i'm sorry oatmeal cream pies though star, that's star yeah oatmeal cream pies are star cruncher 
So what? What is so, your opinion? Anyway, huh? Go, go ahead. Now I was gonna ask, like, what? What are your? What is your opinion of Little Nelly here? Um, a little ridiculous. Okay. Uh, I. Rather than having a whole bunch of different defenses, maybe just have a whole bunch of different one-time use defenses. <laughs> maybe have like a couple reusable defenses like mm -hmm. just machine guns that he just blaze away with yeah because if there had been one more helicopter he would have been screwed <laughs> yeah i mean i was gonna say it's it's very convenient that he has that he's attacked by the same number of helicopters that he has of defense mechanisms mm -hmm. i guess he could have used the smoke screen because he doesn't use that here ah that's true yeah he could have sprayed water at him that always works yeah i mean this is another example though of ludicrousness that i think for the most part they actually do a really good job of filming they do and i do enjoy the scene of watching him take out the helicopters i enjoyed yeah. that i kind of wish um i wish he didn't have to loose all of the all of the aerial mines at once because there were a whole bunch of those and he could easily have used those more than once and done like maybe like dropped a th quarter or a third of those mines and still taken out a helicopter Maybe. Yeah. I mean, I I can see why you'd want to have more than one, because you have to... The the, the aiming would be pretty tricky. There's also there. that, yeah. Yeah. But yeah, he lets loose at least 20 or so, I think, it looks like. So. Yeah, it's a lot. Yeah. I was actually expecting them to take out both of the helicopters in that scene that were just... There's also, every time Bond attacks a hel another helicopter, that helicopter is staying perfectly still. That helps. I, I blame the model work for that, though. Yeah. <laughs> but no, uh, my critiques aside, I, it is a fun scene. I enjoy watching the different helicopters get destroyed. And I like his... I like Bond's little quip at the end about how uh, four big shots made improper advances, but she defended yeah. her honor with great success. That was good. Yeah. Yes, that's a good line. Yeah. Also, there were, disappear there were magical disappearing bullet holes in Little Debbie's uh, rudder. <laughs> Little Nelly. <laughs> Why do I keep saying Little Debbie? Are you hungry? Do we need to take a break for a snack here? <laughs> That's all staying yeah, too. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, no, Little Nelly. <laughs> little Nelly's rudder. We see towards the very beginning, one of the helicopters strafes them, and then we get a bunch of bullet holes, and then they're yeah. they're gone. The next scene. Yeah. The next shot. This is not the only movie where that happens, though. No. Nah. <laughs> I like the uh, over-the-top special effects guy in the last helicopter when they, they show, like, this dummy guy go flying through the air when the, after the helicopter explodes. I don't know if you saw that. Oh, yes, they do. <laughs> nice. We forgot to mention your favorite music again came back there. At the beginning yeah, of the sequence. we got the 007 theme again. Yeah, we did. Then we get the Russian equivalent here of... A rocket launch and they get chomped as well i hadn't seen this movie in a while uh before we watched it for this and i was struck by how far into the movie we're about an hour into the movie now and we still don't really know who the villains are i mean we can kind of take yeah. a guess because we've seen other bond movies but other than osado and elga brunt i don't think we've seen any villains yet other than that spaceship thing you might recognize the guy that comes on the screen 
And he was in the movie earlier, and it's Shane Rimmer, the actor, who shows up later on as in he's in he's in one of those he's one of those that guys who's in everything. Um, mm-hmm. He's the he's the submarine captain in uh, the Spy Who Loved Me. Oh, okay. The American guy that they hitch a ride with. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But anyway, the spaceship lands, and I don't think that's how spaceships work. It's how sci-fi spaceships land. And if you were landing the spaceship inside the very tiny, like, launch area, like, in that crater, you might actually need to do it that way. In real life, that's, we don't have, uh, certainly at this time, the the only way spaceships landed was by parachute and just let them drop wherever. Right. I mean, that's why the space shuttle worked, because it landed like an airplane. Mm Mm-hmm. That's the only reason they were able to reuse them. Yeah, the Americans didn't even bother to land them. We just had them all crash into the ocean. Yeah, the technology that they would require at this point is pretty advanced. We can barely land rockets like that today. I mean, how many times have has the Falcon 9 screwed up on a landing? Yeah, that's true. So, anyway. <laughs> they land in the crater and we get the... We finally find out that Spectre is behind all of this because we recognize the cat. We certainly don't recognize the voice, because that's not the same voice that we've been hearing before. Like the third or fourth Blofeld voice, yeah. Third or fourth Blofeld voice. Uh, This time it's Donald Pleasance, who horror fans will recognize from uh, the Halloween movies. I love this bass, though. It's like the quintessential Bond villain bass. It's It's got a maglev train and everything. Yeah, secret volcano lair. Mm -hmm. Uh, No, this, this is like the quintessential bond lair as far as i'm concerned they don't they, they, they've done bigger ones but i don't think they've ever done one that works quite as well as this yeah and we even get an ex- explanation for the smoke coming out of out by the crater because he's got a fireplace yes i like that too that's clever he has he has the pool of piranhas that we see demonstrated yes and conveniently we never actually see a piranha because apparently piranhas just make a trail of bubbles that follows them until he devours Obviously. Something. Yeah. Uh, we meet, I don't think we get introduced to him technically, but we meet Hans for the first time, who is the first in a long line of big, tough Aryan dudes that hangs around mm-hmm. the villain. Uh, I, 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 yeah. I doubt he's going to get into a fight with Bond later. Oh, no, totally not. No. I mean, he's not really the first big tough Aryan henchman i mean you i i would say that uh robert shaw in in uh from russia with love was the first one yeah i guess red grant really does yeah i i'm just more thinking of the guy that just kind of lurks around and doesn't say anything and just is there to yeah be a brute you know i feel like robert shaw for most of the movie did that <laughs> from russia with love too <laughs> but anyway you make, you make a great point yeah i take that back <laughs> Eh. But yes, now we go to Tanaka's ninja fortress. Because everybody has a ninja fortress. Should we mention that this is, before that is where we get poor Elga Brunt gets fed to the piranhas. Um, ah, yes he does. She, uh, we think we think he's going to kill Osato and doesn't and then drops. Don't Elga worry, Brunt. he'll do that later. Yeah, he'll do that later. He pulls the same trick again. Uh, we get... Kill Bond! Now! Line, which is <laughs> some wonderfully subdued acting by Donald Pleasance here. Also, really, is Bond the only person in the world who uses a Walther <laughs> PPK? I, 
I could be wrong, but didn't they say they were becoming standard issue <laughs> in the first movie? Yeah. <laughs> I thought they did. Yeah. Yeah, we get the ninja training school. Yes, we do. I like how he says these are the they're stealthy and hiding in the shadow, and then we just get to the ninja training where they're all yelling at the top of their lungs. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah. They're what? Yeah. It's like okay, like I, I I get what you're saying, but you're not really showing me that. Right. And then we get rocket ammunition, which is kind of cool. If it's kind of cool, the I baby rocket no cigarette. Is that real? Can that actually happen? Rocket bullets? I, I don't think so. <laughs> I mean, I don't think I'd want to carry guns that did he say they have nitroglycerin in them or something? <laughs> yeah. I mean, that seems like a bad idea. <laughs> a little bit. But the rocket cigarettes, I mean, we gotta have that. The rocket cigarette makes more sense to me, because when he fires the gun, all it really seems to do is set the thing on fire that you just shot. Yes. Whereas the, I mean, the rocket cigarette, I, I mean, I wonder if that's gonna come in handy later, but it does seem like something that would be kind of cool and James Bond-like. <laughs> it seems like something Q would show us, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And then... Yeah... Ugh. We get Operation Yellowface. Yeah, this is unfortunate. And he doesn't even look Japanese at he, the end of it. No. He has a bad bowl cut. and That disappears partway through, like, later. At some point, that, that bowl cut just disappears. Well, it gets wet, and then, you know, his toupees do. <laughs> I mean, the only thing I like about this entire section, I would say 10 minutes or so of the movie, is the... You know, he said, Tanaka says that he has to take a wife, and it's clear that both Bond and Aki would be happy with that arrangement, and then they're yes. told no. Uh, this is continuing, you know, something that almost is a realistic relationship here between these two. Mm-hmm. That, unfortunately, is short-lived. Literally. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, they, I also, I think the, the, so, at the end of the day, Aki is killed in this next scene, and I think the the poison on the thread thing is something else that I I feel like is at least rooted in some sort of reality that it could work. It might, yeah, it could. I could see how it might work, but that does it does seem a bit ridiculous. Why not just kill him? Okay, you got this guy in the rafters above. Why doesn't he just shoot him? Yeah, he could, because then you don't have the wrong person dying. You could still have the wrong person dying by shooting. All of a sudden, Aki yeah. turns over and gets in the way. Right. That's true. It just. It seems unnecessary. Like so many other things in this movie, it seems unnecessarily complicated. Well, this is... I mean, they've started that... Think back to the, the stupid spider in the bed. I mean... <laughs> yeah, I know. This all the time. <laughs> There's yeah. at least one overly convoluted way to kill, try to kill Bond in every movie. Well, it, it seems especially bad in this one because the guy's already in the rafters directly above the bed. Yeah. And there are so many easier ways to kill him. Yeah, okay. So anyway, Bond then has gets married. Bond gets married and to we a have with a face like a pig. Except that's the prettiest pig I've ever seen. Um, yeah. But, and then we have the the scene played for humor because we see the, the older woman first. And he thinks, oh no, I have to marry a slightly less attractive woman. Yep. And then we see the attractive woman. Just like, okay. Yeah. I don't understand why they couldn't just have Aki through the whole movie. That would have worked for me, yeah. And and I say that for a couple reasons. I 
So Miyahama plays the other character, the woman he's marrying, and originally the actresses were supposed to play the opposite roles. And hmm. when Miyahama had trouble learning English, they originally were going to fire her, and then Tamba went to them and said, if you fire her, she might commit suicide because she'll feel like she's dishonored her family by not making it in this movie. So then they decided to switch the parts because the second part has a lot fewer lines of dialogue. Hmm. So. Fascinating. Yeah. So that's how Miyahama ends up playing the part who is never named on screen. The character's name is Kissy Suzuki. Yes, I saw that on the wiki there. I do like that she's just like, no, we're working. We're not going to sleep in the same bed. Like, mm -hmm. I, I like that. And even to the point of he said, but we're married. And she's like, no, you gave the you gave a false name to the priest. It doesn't count. Yeah, it was yeah. good. Yeah, no, I like that. And, and I like Bond saying like, well, then I don't need my oysters then. Yes, that was also <laughs> a good line. So then uh, Tanaka comes over and tells Bond that they've moved up the schedule for the American launch and it's going to happen at midnight tonight. And I'm guessing, it sure looks like this is in the middle of the night, but it must be early in the morning. Yeah, I mean, we'll get to it later, or we can talk about it now. Like, I have a lot of trouble with the timeline of the end of this movie because, yeah, he comes in and says it's going to happen at midnight tonight. It looks like night to me, although maybe the sun is coming up. I, I don't know. Yeah, that looks like a sunset, but it's supposed to be a sunrise, which is weird. Because then later, they, they're going out to on these boats with some awful rear projection. <laughs> and oh, I, yeah. Well, if they had tried to make the lighting work, they could have. It could have. But you have the sunrise in the back, and then you have <laughs> Kissy Suzuki lit from the front. And yep. it's not even the same color of light. And it doesn't. Yeah. And, and it's terrible. And here's thing. That shot does not need to be there. No. She doesn't have a line. She doesn't say anything. It's just a shot to have a closer shot of her. And it just... It, uh, anyway. Yeah, because the one of Bond, where the light is in... Where the sun is in front, doesn't look nearly as bad. Because you don't have the contrasting light. Right. But yeah, that's that's probably the worst projection shot we've seen in the entire franchise. But we'll mm -hmm. leave that aside. I'm, I think people... I, I'm, I'm wondering if our... People who are listening to this are getting tired of us harping on rear projection. But I'm sure the like the one person that's listening to this is probably living for it. Yeah. Next week on Rear Projection Weekly, we will be talking about. <laughs> um so so yeah, the, the whole the whole problem with the timeline here. So they go into a cave and then there's gas in the cave because they because Kissy says something about how a diver girl went in there and came out dead. And then they decide to climb the mountain. How long would it take to climb a mountain? Yeah, it's a big mountain. It should take them a while. And and not only do they climb the mountain, but then Bond sends her back down the mountain to get Tanaka and, and his ninja group. Yeah. They're really good climbers. Apparently. Yeah. Or maybe the mountain just looks big. Maybe it's not as big as it looks. Like, it looks like a tall mountain, but maybe it's, like, relatively small in general. I don't know, but I mean, they come to that scene where they're at a waterfall, and it looks like it would take them a while just to get up that waterfall. Yeah. Oh, yeah, and we see the helicopter flying over these hills and such to get to the mountain, and yeah, it looks like a huge area. Yeah. 
Okay, yeah, no, they they made really good time. And Kissy is certainly not wearing good good climbing shoes. She is not. They're like slippers. Yeah, but she is wearing slippers. I at first yeah. I thought she was barefoot, and I'm like, dang. But then yeah. I noticed that she, she does at least have slippers on. But that's still not good. Also, speaking of the helicopter, how blind are these pilots that you have two people laying on an open field wearing white? And they don't see them. Maybe they do and they just don't care. They're maybe. just like, oh, it's two people make, climbing up to the mountain to make out. Yeah, maybe. But yeah, so they, they see the they see the helicopter and they decide to go what, what looks like relatively shorter distance to go to get to the top of the mountain from where they're laying down. Mm-hmm. By the time they get to the crater, it's dark. Yeah. Well, they actually, they get to the lip of the crater, and it's still daylight. They get to the top of the but crater. But when they climb to the bottom... Okay, so that could actually work, because okay. what if you think about it, when you're down in the crater, the sun sets sooner. That could be. I guess because if the sun is no longer at the right angle. Yeah, I guess so. Yeah. But it's like pitch black, so actually, no, that doesn't work. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I was trying to uh, give it the benefit of a doubt. And then, yeah, Kissy manages to go all the way back down the mountain and swim across the bay. Get Tanaka and his, and his group, and then they get back to the volcano. Yeah. Yeah, no, this the timeline does not work at all. Right. Because if it's, like, already pitch black outside, that means it's got to be, it can't be any earlier than 8 p.m., right? No. no, I wouldn't think so. I mean, I mean, Japan's pretty, Japan's not a equatorial country so and it definitely looks like it's in the summer months so Mm -hmm. yeah it would be pretty late so there there would only be a few hours before the launch at this point right anyway anyway just (laughs) it doesn't work that that makes that makes no sense um yeah i like bond's little suction cup thingies that he yeah that he uses to sneak in i i just really love the maglev train in this thing oh yeah the maglev train is great with the little that little spherical top thing. Yes. So also it takes a while for something to launch, doesn't it? For a rocket to get from Earth to in orbit? Doesn't it take like Yeah. Not an yeah, yeah. insignificant amount of time? It does, yeah. They don't launch until it's like right on top until the other ship is right on top of them, which doesn't make any sense. No, I mean you're you're expecting the physics to make sense in this movie. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Bond manages to find these astronauts that they've kept captive. I'm not quite sure what the plan is, what they're going to do with these people, but I mean they've kept them alive and fed them apparently and stuff. I'm not sure why, but uh, I like the little conversation they're having where they they're talking about, you know, did you volunteer and. Oh no! In Russia, we call them cosmonauts and things like. I just like that they bothered yeah, that was putting good. in. They they bothered putting in like actual conversation that these people would be having while they're sitting in a jail cell. Uh, Bond. They beat up a bunch of guards, and Bond decides to take the place of one of the astronauts who's going to go in this thing. Okay, so we no- don't actually see the other astronaut put down his air conditioner, but he apparently did. So when they get off the elevator thing, the one guy goes around to the back. And I don't yeah. know if that's because that's where his seat is, or if he's going back to put away the air conditioner. But when we see him get in, he doesn't have the little air conditioner thing. Yeah. I'm just wondering why they have those at all. Like, I realize the suit is probably warm, but 
for the very brief period up that tower, you'd think they would have left. They wouldn't have carried that all the way up into the tower. Well, that's something they still did. Like the real astronauts had those. Oh, okay. So that's fair enough. I mean, when you know, when Mercury, the Mercury astronauts, and those that era of astronauts. Yeah. No, I know. I've seen pictures. It just seems odd. Well, and I think that they had them because it could have been hours, probably from the time you put on the suit to when you actually got into the capsule. Mm. So it might be one of those things where they're attempting to look authentic without needing to, because in the bond world, you just put on your suit and get in the thing and launch within 10 minutes. Right. So, yeah, that's a good point. Okay. So, and I, I do like the detail where they've, they've painted CCCP on the rocket, just in case the astronauts can report that back before they get swallowed. <laughs> Although they're also going to blow it up then. So that's that yeah. must be for the benefit of the camera that is filming them up in space. <laughs> yeah. It is one of those things where it's like, oh, that's a nice touch, but why? So the rocket launches and but Blofeld does tell the guy, you know, make sure you blow it up after they catch it. So that's, you know, Chekhov's exploding button. And, and here is the exploder button right here. Mhm. This thing I'm So touching. Bond can see it. Yep. Oh yeah, we should actually mention that we did that we did meet Blofeld for the first time. Officially. Yeah, I was gonna I was gonna ask what's your opinion of Blofeld in this movie? He's fine. Uh huh. He's better than he is in Diamonds Are Forever. That's not hard. <laughs> uh, it bothers me that this sets up what Blofeld is supposed to look like, and then they ignore it for the rest of the movies. Like, yeah, in the future he doesn't have the scar. He only has the scar in the one movie where we never get his name because they can't say it for legal reasons. Well, we don't even see his face in that one, really. Not really, no, you're right. And he has the scar inspector. Oh, uh, yeah, he does, okay. Uh, okay, so now I'm making the mistake of forgetting the newer <laughs> movies. <laughs> or you just wanted to forget Spectre, which is totally That's fair. also fair. <laughs> yeah. I mean, whenever, whenever I just think of Blofeld, for whatever reason somebody mentions Blofeld, I think of this version of him. Yeah, same. And this is the version that they modeled Dr. Evil on. Oh, definitely, yeah. Although we'll we'll get to him next week, but I really do like Telly Savalas's Blofeld as well, in a complete for completely different reasons. I think no, no, he's is, also good as Blofeld. I agree. If you flip flopped the two actors, I don't think it works at all. I think this is a, the perfect Blofeld for this movie, mm-hmm. for this this style of over the top, ludicrous stuff. And I think Telly Savalas is a good, grounded in reality kind of Blofeld. Um, but we'll talk more about him next week. I yeah. I want to know why the uh, the control room that they have here is run like a submarine where they have to yell orders across the room and multiple times and go back and forth. Yeah, I was wondering about that too. And I think this is the first, this might be the first one to have the weird, very deep voiced announcer guy voice that they always have in these types of lairs where they have countdowns and whatnot. Yeah, gotta have, you gotta have the countdown, man. By this point, Tanaka and the group have already managed to get back up the mountain. Made very good time, yes. I mean, they could have flown up there, maybe. That's true. We have another relic of the 60s here where Blofeld says you can watch the capture of the spaceship on television. And Bond says, well, if I have to watch TV, may I smoke? Yeah, that would not have worked today. They'd be like, what the (laughs) hell? No, of course you can't smoke. Yeah, (laughs) be as comfortable as you want to be. So, yes, he gives him his cigarettes, and he uses them to, you know, blow up a guy. Because why not? Yeah. 
And that's when he opens the crater to let Tanaka's people in, but he gets captured and they close the crater, but not before a bunch of dudes get in. Well, at least one or two, because there's the guy that puts the mine underneath it. Yeah. Well, there's a few that made it to the bottom, too. Yeah, yeah. And then once he, once he, once the mine goes up, then a whole bunch come through, but Blofeld closes the screens and says they're impregnable. Yeah, the impregnable shutters. <laughs> I'm not sure how well that works when you just saw this guy blow a hole through your metal crater cover, but okay. Well, Bond even says that. Like, at one point, one big chunk blows up, and he's like, impregnable? This is... A, I like this. This I feel like this is what Thunderball was going for with the big battle between minions. Yes. But I feel like it works much better in this one because you can actually see what's happening. I feel like this is the end of every Lewis Gilbert Bond film where you you just have... The two sides machine gun, or in one case, laser gunning each other out as Bond is being, you know, walked away. So, at one point, Blofeld takes Bond, Hans, and Osado, and they're leaving. And then Blofeld points a gun at Bond, and then shoots Osado instead. Yep. Why? Because, you know, we haven't seen we haven't seen that thing done in, you know, at least half an hour. Sure. But then he takes Bond with him to the little monorail thing, only to then decide to shoot him in a way that Tanaka can save him by throwing the throwing star at him. So that, well, I mean, that's why. Uh, yeah. <laughs> no, I, I get what you're saying. It makes no sense. We have the much predicted uh, fist fight between Hans and Bond, which isn't much of a fight, really. Nah. Bond we steals the... the key from him and then flips him over into the piranha pool. Convenient that he already got the key from him. Yeah. Because that would have sucked if the key had gone into the piranha pool. It would have. So, bon so Bond then is trying to stop the rocket. Well, first he has to get to it, but yes. Uh, he's trying to stop the rocket, uh, but the, the key is stuck, or the the little door is stuck or something is stuck just you know give us the suspense of not having it happen until the very last minute which i have a bone to pick about that at this point the snatching capsule is like a couple feet from the american <laughs> capsule right and it explodes and i mean yep. the whole thing explodes there is no way it didn't have a whole bunch of shrapnel that would rip the american capsule to shreds yep i agree yep I mean, it blew up to the extent that Shane Rimmer, back down on Earth, who's watching the radar, can report immediately that the capsule is blown up, even though all he's watching is probably a blip on the screen. Yeah. So it must have blown up into lots of little blips. Yeah. To the point where he could figure that out. We also get to see uh, Blofeld's little turn-the-volcano-on switch. Every layer has to have one. I think that's cool. I think the effects of the volcano explode... Or erupting are pretty dodgy but what can you do i think the shot that we see multiple times of the same people swimming in the water to try to escape the cave is pretty bad too yeah that's not great but yeah no the the volcano the stock footage volcano volcanic eruption isn't great um but i like the idea that yes he's got the volcano button because if you're building your layer in a volcano of course you would have the button that makes the volcano erupt yes and presumably blofeld gets away at this point it was also very convenient that those planes were just right there waiting to drop off those boats. Yeah. But not to pick them up with a tether this time like they did in Thunderball. 
That's for the best. Yeah. I also have trouble believing that a submarine could surface in such a way that there would be so little displacement that it wouldn't push the boat aside. I I agree with that. (laughs) But they do that to be convenient and, you know, interrupt Bond when he's in flagrante delecto. Yeah, well, again, that is the ending to every Lewis Gilbert Bond film where... He gets interrupted mid-coitus by M. So the submarine is labeled M1, which begs the yep. question, how many <laughs> submarines does M have? <laughs> or, you know, if you're trying to be somewhat clandestine, then why would you put your name on the side of a submarine? <laughs> yes! <laughs> and honestly, I feel like by showing this to be M's submarine, they're, they're, he's just commenting, well, this is M's version of Tanaka's train. But it's like, it's M1, <laughs> which means there's at least an M2. Right. <laughs> well, not necessarily. <laughs> uh, I appreciate the fact that we, we, we don't know exactly how long they're out there on the water, but we know time has passed because James Bond managed to take his shirt off. Sadly, we missed the shot of Money Penny going up on deck to retrieve him. Cause yeah, M1. that would have been good. That's it's still a more conclusive ending than just them zooming away in the air after the airplane picks them up. That is true. From last movie. That was just bad. Uh, yeah. But yeah, we don't quite have the Roger Moore era um we don't quite have the Roger Moore era. If this had been more, Money Penny would have walked over to the boat while they were, you know, doing their thing. Yep. And Bond would have had some sort of witty pun to say about it. Mhm. Sadly, we don't get that. Keeping the British end up, sir. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. Yes. So that's the end of You Only Live Twice. Yes, but James Bond will return. In Honor Majesty's Secret Service. For real this time. I actually really... I like how they did that, where they're like, James Bond will return, and they don't say in on... They say, James Bond will return on Her Majesty's Secret Service. Because it works Mm -hmm. as a sentence. Yes. So I like that. Yeah, I, I do. Yeah. Or I actually think it's Bond will be back, but either way, they still... Which they've been, they had been trying to make for many, many films, and this is, I think this is the second time they've had to change their mind, but... And it would have made sense to make it before this one. Yes and no. I mean, this story, I mean, there's a huge plot hole <laughs> that arises yeah. as the result of this movie. Um, I will talk more about this next week. I don't think they sure. should have made... On Her Majesty's Secret Service when they did, frankly. Mm-hmm. That, I guess that's more or less it. Do you have any final thoughts? Um, it's, it's not my favorite. Uh, I would actually, I enjoy this one, I think, more than Thunderball, although I think, objectively speaking, it's a worse movie than Thunderball is. Yes. I think Thunderball probably was a better movie. I do mostly enjoy this, but this at its lows is worse than anything in Thunderball. Yeah. Uh, I think Thunderball had promise. This one also had promise, but there's just, I, it had been a very long time since I've seen this. And I had forgotten just how cringy some of the scenes are in this one. Yeah. There's, there are moments that even accounting for the sixties stuff, mm-hmm. it's still really bad. Yeah. Yeah. That, that scene with, uh, Tanaka and his girls is probably the most egregious scene we've seen so far and that's saying a lot yeah it was bad (laughs) yeah i don't know if it was quite as bad i'm not sure if it i don't still don't 
was this wor- better or worse than Bond basically blackmailing someone into having sex with him in Thunderball? Oh, yeah, you know what? I take it back then because I and I'm not I'm not excusing this or I'm not saying it's okay, but it feels as though the women in this movie in that situation are knowingly in that situation and that's a cultural thing. It's a terrible cultural thing and it makes me cringe and wince every time I watch it. Whereas Bond is outright raping somebody in Thunderball. And we don't see anything to that extent happen. We see some bathing and some massage stuff going on, but nothing to the extent of what happens in Thunderball happens in this movie, which makes it slightly less terrible, I guess. Slightly, yes. Slightly. Not not much, but I still think that the Shrublin stuff in Thunderball is still worse. Yeah, that was pretty bad. Uh, thankfully, we won't have anything more terrible or problematic in the Bond films after this one, right? They're all, Definitely. it's all smooth sailing from here? Absolutely. Okay. Nothing, problem, <laughs> nothing problematic comes up in the next movie. Oh, good. <laughs> and I will say that we talked about this briefly uh, on their first episode. But I think that at least going into next week, I think is the first time where we definitely have a difference of opinion. Yeah. I think so. And that's going to be fun. Mm-hmm. So I'm, and I'm, and I'm looking forward to that one. Just, I, just because I, am I think as well. it'll be, it'll be a, a fun to kind of, I don't know, compare and contrast our, our thoughts on, on certain things. No, I, I am as well. I am also looking forward to, to seeing it. I, I did see it recently, but I, I'm definitely, especially now with the look, watching them more in depth, I'm definitely interested in seeing this next one again. All right, well, thank you for listening to us this week. If you'd like to contact us, you can find us on Twitter at Podspiel, or you can send us an email at spielpodcast at gmail.com. And then you can also find me on Twitter at Tyrannicus. You can find me on Twitter at Listening to Film. Any other final thoughts on, on this movie? or in a... So, no, I think we've covered more or less all the thoughts I have here on You Only Live Twice. License to Spiel will be back next week for On Her Majesty's Secret Service. Mm-hmm.